you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, a live literary event series from LAist. We are back with guests, author Amanda Montel and actor Bella Lavelle. You can find us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum. Tickets at LAist.com events. LAS Studios. When you are questioning whether you are welcome here, your sense of belonging, your sense of safety, that compounds how you feel and see the world around you and how you see yourself. This is Amy Hilato. She's a professor of social work at the University of Chicago and focuses on immigrant and refugee mental health. And so for undocumented communities, I... I appreciate how difficult the struggle is when you are wondering about that sense of safety, that sense of status, what is the pathway for you? And all of that can have a cumulative effect on mental health, especially if you're coming from environments that felt unsafe, your home country, you were fleeing violence or a lack of opportunity, lack of access to basic resources. Newcomers to the United States tend to have, and it's reflected in the research, it's what I see in my practice, they are more likely to be at risk for mental health problems like anxiety, like depression, like trauma and stress-related disorders. This is How to LA, the podcast that helps you connect with the people and places in this city. I'm your host, Brian De Los Santos. Today, we're talking about mental health, the stigma that exists around it, and the barriers to accessing care for anyone, but specifically in this episode, for people who are undocumented. Oftentimes, the newcomers I work with, mental health is a term that you associate with someone who's crazy, uh, that something is wrong with them, or that they're experiencing these adverse symptoms because it's a product of their own moral failing. It's a personal failure. You brought this upon yourself. In certain communities, you keep that to yourself. It's private. All of this gets in the way of being able to access help. Oh, I love this pink planet. And we're about to hear the story of someone who was able to access help and decided to share his story with others. I have all of those that plans to remind me why I cannot buy no more plants because they all die. My name is Armando Ibanez. I am a filmmaker. I've been living in L.A. for about 20 years, and I am from Acapulco, Guerrero, Mexico. Okay, Acapulco, I love Ah, that. Representando. I recently met up with Armando in Boyle Heights, right off Mariachi Plaza, where he lives and sometimes films for his web series, Undocumented Tales. It's loosely based on his own life and finished up its fourth and final season this year. Undocumented Tales is a love letter to my undocumented and queer and trans community. It's a way to expand the conversation about mental health. And it's a reminder to my people who feel like giving up, to not give up, to remind them that we are beautiful, we're powerful, and we deserve to be here and we deserve to exist. Your latest season of Undocutels was such a glimpse into the anxiety, the mental health, the things that undocumented people go through 
And I'm sure not just in LA and throughout the country, you know, maybe in the world. And um, you touched on it so beautifully. So before we get there, why don't you just tell us about your series? Okay. Tell us the history about it, how it started, and where you're at now. Okay, well, I'm going to start with a little bit of my background. Usually people, when they hear that I am from Acapulco, Guerrero, they're like, what are you doing here? Acapulco is so beautiful. But I used to grow up bored in the uh, segregated areas from Acapulco, Guerrero. You know, I grew up in poverty with my single mother. Uh, and because of that, the same reason we decided to migrate to the U.S., you know, to cross the border and come to pursue a better life. When I came to the United States, um, I was very naive, very naive. I had no idea what it meant to cross the border. I had no idea what it meant to be an undocumented immigrant. So I came here and uh, a lot of people make it look like it's so easy, right, to, to live in the other side. Uh, like, barras, I was 18. Y como que barras los dólares. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's mm -hmm. not like that, right? So I came and I was working a, a, at a restaurant. And it was really hard because it was a different, just the, everything was different. You know, uh, I didn't speak English. And I had, uh, and I remember I was questioning myself, like, wow, this is the U.S.? Like, you really had to work a lot and then you don't have to tell anyone that you're undocumented and you had to live hiding and I was just shocked and at the same time I was struggling with my identity. Uh, so I was in the closet and uh, <clears throat> and I remember many of my friends used to tell me, if you, if you want to have a better life, just learn English so you can get a better job and don't tell anyone that you're undocumented and uh, and then you can marry someone with papers and that's it. And I remember I questioned and I said, what if I want to go to school? And they said like, oh, we're undocumented. We don't go to school. We just work. That's all. Uh, basically, they were telling me don't dream big. Mm -hmm. And that's how I spent most of my 20s. You know, I came here when I was 18. I was going to adult school at night, learning English. And, um, working by day? Yes, working by day. I remember I was working at this restaurant where I used to start at 4 a.m. and I would wake up at 3 a.m. and I would ride my bike and then I would go to school and I would fall asleep in night classes. It was just funny. I, I thought it was funny. Now I think it's funny. It was not funny back then. Right. But um, that's how I spent uh, most of my 20s, just working in different restaurants and learning English at the same time. And I remember I was very depressed. I was very, like, most of my 20s, I was, I feel like I was sleeping. I feel like I was always questioning like this is life this is what i'm gonna be doing for the rest of my life and it was until like i was almost 30 when i got uh i got terminated from a restaurant because they did a background check and and they discovered that my social security was not uh real and that's when i was like i'm, I'm just tired i don't think i can do this anymore i want to do something i want to speak up and around that same time is when i saw a movement of undocumented youth protesters on the streets shouting undocumented unafraid undocumented unafraid undocumented unafraid And that was a big movement, immigrant movement that was around the country. And I was like, who are they? I want to meet them. I want to be friends with them. I want to tell them that I'm undocumented too. And I, I eventually started going to protests, to immigration rallies, and I became friends with many people. And I realized that many of them identify as queer, bi, trans, gay, lesbian. And that was the first time that I felt in my life like I belong here. 
I belong here. This is what community is. I had no idea one day I was going to feel like that, you know, and I felt so welcome. And then I learned that many of them were going to school, were going to colleges, were going to universities, being undocumented. And I was like, is that even possible? I learned about uh, the AB. AB 540 bill, you know, that allows undocumented immigrants to go to schools in California. And my life changed. My life changed. And that's when I, I questioned myself, what if? What if one day I come out? What if, what if if one day I go to school? What if if I start dreaming big? And that's when, with my new community, that's when my life started changing. Wow. And tell me, just for reference, like that moment of the protest, was that like 20, 2010 when, you know, the DREAM Act was kind of, you know, the, the talks about that, or when was it? It was around 2010, 11, 12, mm -hmm. when I started, like, going those, around those three years was when I started going to protest here and then, you know, trying to find myself. And I went back to school, I got my GED, and, uh, and then I tried to pursue going to college. I got accepted in college. I was uh, struggling with what major to choose. And I remember uh, my counselors, they said, oh, well, if you don't know which major, maybe you can do something fun like acting, arts, theater, film. And when she said film, I felt like I just couldn't believe that I heard that I had a choice because I grew up being poor. I never thought that the arts of filmmaking was a choice for me. I always thought that was only for rich or, or white people, you know, and I chose film. And I remember telling friends about it, I was really excited, and telling friends about it, like, oh, guess what, uh, I'm going to choose film uh, in college, because everyone was so excited for me. Uh, uh, it's a big accomplishment, right, uh, being undocumented and going to college. So everyone was so excited for me. I would tell them, like, I'm just film, and then there was this silence, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. because why? Because many of us in our communities, is like, come on, like, you're doing such a big accomplishment of going to college, and then you're going to pick arts like why that's not for you that's not for us and i discovered that many of my people who loved me had the same mentality you know like we don't dream big mm -hmm. uh and but that that never made me feel bad never like i believed it once in college uh, i eventually came out as queer and undocumented and I started talking publicly about it and once in college i was really struggling with like what am i gonna do once i graduate like i don't have a social security number so I was struggling with that, and I remember one time one of my friends said, hey, have you ever seen this YouTube series called Aqua Black Girl? Uh, it's this girl, it's a ray on YouTube, <laughs> and I was like, no, I never watched it. I started watching it, and that changed my life. Let me introduce myself. My name is Jay, and I'm awkward and black. Someone once told me those were the two worst things anyone could be. That someone was right. That was when I... I felt so inspired and encouraged, and I was like, I can create my own show. I can create my own web series. I'm going to write the story of an undocumented queer Mexican server who's 30 years old, who has an accent, who's a bad immigrant, who's a mess, and that's how I started writing the series Undocumented Tales for YouTube. There will be more of my conversation with filmmaker Armando Ibanez after this short break.
support for LAS comes from Latino Theater Company at the Los Angeles Theater Center, presenting the world premiere of Ghost Waltz by Oliver Mayer, a bold original recovery of Juventino Rosas, one of Mexico's most significant composers. Follow Rosas from his father's early death to his friendship with ragtime genius Scott Joplin, now on stage through June 2nd. Tickets and information at latinotheaterco.org. Support for LAS comes from the Norton Simon Museum, presenting the film series Testigo Witness, Goya in the Movies, held on select Fridays in May. Each film touches upon Spanish artist Francisco de Goya's visions of the world, including Pan's Labyrinth by Guillermo del Toro and The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie by Luis Buñuel. Screenings are at 4.30 p.m. on four consecutive Fridays starting May 10th. More information at nortonsimon.org. Can you also talk about your status? Because I think your status is what it gives your storyline of the series so much power. During the time you said there was protests, the DREAM Act movement was happening, Obama eventually gave a certain number of people DACA protections. I'm one of those people. Um, I'm also one of those trying to be a good immigrant in this country, right? Going to school, getting scholarships, graduating, not knowing if I'm going to have a future, and then boom, DACA comes around and I'm able to apply. You don't have DACA. You don't have the same opportunities. And you make that very known in the beginning of your series to the end of the series. I love the confrontation you have when you're Fernando, the character in the series, gets a little drunk and just, you know, talks shit to all the DACA recipients. You have a permiso de trabajo. Tienes un número de seguro social, ¿de qué chingados estás hablando? Yeah, I'm not talking to you, bitch. Hay muchas personas que quisieran tener lo que tú tienes. Tú tienes acceso a recursos. Tú hablas inglés. Tienes una educación. So tell us about that, because that's, you know, we don't hear many people who are fully undocumented making film, making series, making art, you know? Yeah, when I started writing the series, I wanted to talk. Uh, there was a lot of pain in my heart, you know. There was a lot of pain, and I felt like I needed to s- express everything. And I I felt like a filmmaking and screenwriting was the only way I could do it, right? I felt very comfortable doing it. And I wanted to talk about the injustices of not having a Social Security number, right? And I think that undocumented, mean undocumented, it's very complex because now we have people with work permits, resident cards, and that's one thing that I wanted to address in the series, especially this last four season, uh, yeah, like you said, in that scene, Fernando, I don't think he does, he gets wrong, he gets wasted. He's, <laughs> he's a mess. I feel like it was building because he's been offered these opportunities that he cannot get, right? And then, so that means that he's not taking care well of his mental health. So then he sees other people, you know, taking these opportunities because they have a social security number, they have a work permit. And I think he is projecting a lot of that, right? Because it's very complex of like what it means to be undocumented. If you're DACA, are you still undocumented or you are not undocumented? What does that even mean? And I think that Fernando expressed that, that he one, he expressed what he was thinking and second, he project a lot. I think uh, something that I connected with that I have grappled so much and I didn't know it was a topic that I had to deal with and that was particularly in season three when the character explores therapy. Hola Fernando, gracias por estar aquí y por aceptar comenzar la terapia. Cuéntame, ¿qué está pasando? You know, it's funny because uh, 
my friend um, was like, hey, girl, you should, you know, she's a queer woman. So you should, you should explore therapy. And I'm like, <laughs> why? I'm like, I'm doing good in career, my career. I have an okay relationship with my parents. You know, I have a um, boy in the background. And then she actually knows about your work. Um, uh-huh. And so she was, she actually was just like, because, you know, you've gone through traumatic stuff and it's hard. And, you know, I got curious about therapy when, you know, season three rolled around and I saw those episodes. And, you know, I'm in therapy now, you know, just just if anyone's curious, I'm, I'm trying to heal myself. But <laughs> let's talk about mental health because yes. um, I think that, um, you know, I have the privilege of being able to have a counselor, a therapist. Um, not everyone has access to those things, but you wrote season three around that theme. Um, tell me why you decided to go into that route. Okay, so I always believed in mental health, and I always believed since I was little. Since I remember, it was I was always interested in mental health, in uh, psychology, you know, therapy, psychiatrists, like everything, uh, and I never know why. Never know why until recently. Uh, even though living in Mexico, like no one believes in mental health, right? Back in the time. Uh, and still here, we have a big stigma, right? And especially in the Latino community. So <clears throat> once I was writing season three of Undocumentals, I was like, okay, my character is going to go to therapy. He's going to talk about Mostly what I wanted to address was traumatic experiences, right, uh, of being undocumented, being queer, and intersectionality, all these layers. Because I think that mental health is like physical health. You need to go to a doctor, you know, to, to do a regular checkup. But people don't see it like that because we still have the stigma that mental health is like for people who are not mentally well, you know. And it's just, it's a sign of wellness. Like we need to go to make sure that we we know how to cope with life because just being alive every day is hard, you know? So we need to check if we have the resources, right? Uh, and uh, season three, I decided to do the introduction to therapy. And then season four, I did the introduction to a mental health disorder, right? So last year in 2022, uh, I started having intrusive thoughts. I started having intrusive thoughts about different things. And I didn't know what was happening to me. Uh, you know, intrusive thoughts are just like unwanted thoughts. And uh, I didn't know what was, ha- what was happening to me. I was going to therapy back then. I talked to my therapist about it. And uh, after two months, after actually a very... Uh, painful emotional breakdown. I was diagnosed with OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. In in therapy, I learned that I've been living with OCD all of my life, that I've been having different uh, obsessions, compulsions, different ones through my whole life. And that's why I never see a connection in between of them. Uh, I always start every compulsion. This, this obsession compulsion uh, was just part of life or whatever. Uh, so I started a recovery treatment in, uh, in therapy. I started going to uh, therapy OCD groups. I started going to conferences, watching YouTube videos. And um, I knew that I was still having part of a stigma because when I learned that I, wa- I had obsessive compulsive disorder and when I learned that it doesn't have a cure, mm-hmm. I was like, no, I cannot be like them. Mm-hmm. I am normal. I cannot be like them. That's what I used to think, you know, because I was in denial. And once I accepted it, once I believed that you can have a healthy life, uh, living with OCD, I, deci- I decided that I'm going to get better and I'm going to talk about this. And that's when I decided to include that in the series, to talk about OCD, especially because once 
we have a very uh, we have a culture of stereotypes where people love saying, I'm so OCD, I'm so OCD, my house is organized, I'm so OCD, I, I hate when my house is dirty, I'm so OCD. But people with OCD uh, are suffering and it's a very time consuming uh, mental disorder. And I think that for me, uh, when I was diagnosed with OCD, I was in pain every day and I wanted to find other people and I couldn't find people of color because uh, I, I just couldn't. There was no OCD support groups with people of color, people who speak Spanish, like no one. And after thinking about it, I was like, I know where they are. They are on the streets. Mm -hmm. My community, people of color, Latino undocumented, struggling with mental disorders, they're living on the streets because unfortunately the only way to cope with problems is substance abuse and drugs and not mental health resources. So that's when I was like, I'm gonna write about it and hopefully this can contribute to expand the conversation about mental health resources for our communities. It's such an in-your-face moment where you start exploring this topic of OCD in the last season of Undocumented Tales. Bitch, what were you doing? Asegurándome que todo está apagado. That many times? It's weird. ¿Cómo entraste? The door's open. They're taking forever, I need to pee. You make it a point to showcase OCD like in the beginning, the first episode of yes. uh, season four. Why did you do it in that way and why did you do it with a stove? Okay, yes. That, uh, well, on, in obsessive compulsive disorder, we have, people have different obsessions and compulsions and we call it teams, you know? So there are different teams. There is like uh, contamination OCD, just right OCD, sexual OCD, uh, existential OCD, um, and then uh, checking OCD, which is the one that I uh, decided to put on on the series. I've been having different OCD, different teams through my whole life, but checking OCD is one of the, the ones that I struggle with. Checking things, like the plugs, like the the stuff in this in this in undocumented tales, Fernando the character gets to check the stuff many times, and every time he tries to leave the house, he has to come back to check the knobs and touch one by one in the stuff to make sure that the gas is off. So uh, in this series, I decided to to put that and show how an obsession compulsion disorder interferes with everyone's lives, you know, with a person's lives. So I think that, um, and also to show that there's actually a recovery from the obsession compulsions, mm -hmm. something that, this is gonna be a big spoiler, but this is something that we get to see at the end of the season, you know, like there is a recovery if you have access to mental health resources. Yeah. I think, um, and turning the page here a little bit more comically, um, I laughed so hard when, um, you know, the friends of Fernando were shading him of like, Jota, why are you taking so long, uh -huh. you know? Yeah. And um, I definitely have been the impatient person of waiting on someone. And then I got to see the other side of things. I'm like, you never know what someone's going through. And sometimes you either judge them or you put this kind of like expectation on someone and you just don't know what they're going through. And I think... In Fernando's character, it shows that, you know, because he's still learning about himself through the whole series. Yes. Um, and there's so many scenes where he's just, he's, the light bulb is clicking for him and turning on. And um, I love that about the series, by the way. So tell us about that journey. Remember I said that I always believe in mental health? Mm -hmm. That's because since I was little, I always felt different. Always. And at the beginning, I thought always because... I'm queer, I'm living in the closet, no one knows about me. And I came out 
like 12 years ago and uh and then i still felt different you know i still felt different 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 from anyone else from everybody else and uh once i was diagnosed with ocd i finally knew why i always felt different you know always i was like this this is why i was always feeling different than everyone else you know it was the mental disorder that i have been living with all of my life and uh and i'm like wow what if i didn't have mental health resources where would i be right now i firmly believe that i was i would probably be living on the streets because there was a moment where i just couldn't cope with intrusive thoughts you know you get intrusive thoughts 100 1000 intrusive thoughts a day when you're when you don't have resources when you're you're not in therapy and recovery treatment OCD is just like disparado, you know, mm-hmm. like it has no control and it takes all over your life. But also, you're, if you have never heard, like it happened to me, I never heard of, of other people with the same obsession compulsion. I thought I was the only one in the world. I thought, I, I, I remember even after one year of being in therapy, I finally opened up to my therapist and I said, I want to talk about something. But I was 100% confident that my therapist was not going to be able to help me mm. you know i i thought my therapist was gonna say um i don't know what that is we don't know what that is no one heard about this ever mm. you know and uh to my surprise two, mon- two months later after working with a therapist i was diagnosed with ocd and i was like wait you're telling me that there's like thousands of people living with this mental disorder and they can control their intrusive thoughts i was like what uh, mm. i couldn't believe it so i think that in the series, I wanted to show people that there is a recovery, that we can have a healthy life with mental health resources. How did you find your mental health resources? Immigrants Rising, the organization that provides uh, resources to undocumented immigrants in California, they started this program called Mental Health Connector, I believe, and they gather therapists who wanted to do pro bono work and with that program undocumented immigrants like myself we enrolled into that program there there was a waiting list because obviously the demand was a lot and that's why i feel like my life is just like it's it's been a journey because like without that program i don't know where i would be right now that was armando ibanez la-based filmmaker and creator of the web series undocumented tales Before we go, I want to go back to Professor Amy Hilato, who we heard from at the top of this episode. She says that despite all the challenges that come with the uncertainty of being undocumented, there's a bright side to look at as well. Oftentimes when we think about mental health, I always worry that people think about only the problems alone. And we start to forget that there are strengths in communities that have experienced severe stress and trauma. And that a lot of cultures have their own culture-bound ways of healing and adapting and coping. We have to honor how cultures have coped with stress and the problems of life for generations, but also recognizing that there are those that are in circumstances that require a different level of support, maybe to try something different. And as a community, as we look at the newcomers that are coming to the United States with or without status, I hope that folks recognize that everybody has a human right to live a life of safety and dignity and with opportunity and to have their basic needs met. All right, we are done for the day. I hope you found that conversation helpful or insightful in some way. 
We'll have links to Armando's series in the show notes, plus resources if you or someone you know is struggling with mental health issues. And join us tomorrow. We are hitting the streets of Pasadena and South Pass to see how these neighborhoods show up in the movies, often as communities in the Midwest. It's our second hangout with Hollywood location scout Rick Schuler. Tune in tomorrow to check it out. Hasta mañana. This episode is produced by Monica Bushman. Our other team members include Erica Washington, Megan Botel, Victoria Alejandro, and Evan Jacoby. Support for this podcast is made possible by Gordon and Donna Crawford, who believe that quality journalism makes Los Angeles a better place to live. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps.